This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast is sponsored in part by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. And SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Better yet, Keeping Carlson listeners save $20 off their first purchase by entering the promo code KEEPING at checkout. SeatGeek, the better way to buy tickets. Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Hoi här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Eller jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores. Carlson, Carlson. Världens bästa Carlson. That's actually how his name is pronounced, Tevo. I just learned that today. I was watching the game. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools, one of whom does, again, own Eric Carlson in his keeper pool. That's me. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski. With me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Hey, Elon. Hey, everyone. I'm a little tentative. I feel like you're setting me up. I'm about to walk right into something by saying there was no yes in that opening. I said, te, you know, like, yeah, it was like very similar. Tevo, yes. A little, little too subtle. I'm glad we clarified. Anyway, welcome everyone to another episode. I can't wait to get started. Well, then how about we do that? We've got a huge (laughs) slate of players to discuss on this week's show. Normally I start with like injuries and outries, but I'm just going to go right into hot streaks this week, Brian. We're going to start hot. But before we do that. Let's mention the hottest fantasy hockey website out there, and that's DauberHockey.com. They've got all the info you need to be successful with fantasy hockey. You know, the daily ramblings. Every day you're getting a write-up of what happened the previous day and what's the fantasy impact. Then all these other articles, all the tools, like the starting goalies, the line combinations, which which update in real time, which is so useful. Definitely check it out, DauberHockey.com. But okay, Brian, let's start with, you guys know who I'm going to start with because I yelled his name. And his team is the Carolina Hurricanes. Let's just talk about the whole Hurricanes team because they went crazy this week. My opponent has like six of them in the couple, so it hasn't been a great week for me. But yeah, this line, especially on Carolina, of Sebastian Ajo, Jordan Stahl, and Toivo, sorry, Tevo, Teravainen, they've been going insane. Like, let's talk about these guys one at a time because we've got a lot to discuss with these people. I feel like a lot of people's thoughts of these Carolina guys has changed over the past week. And now we've got wet blanket, Brian, who's going to remind us all not to, you know, look at a small sample size and read too much into it. But okay. So Aho, first of all, he was the one we were most excited about of the three going into the season. He started the season really slow, but he now with, His game today where he had one goal and two assists versus the Islanders. He has four goals and nine assists in his last 10 games. So huge recent stretch for Aho. Teravainen had a huge 
Three goals, one assist game versus Dallas back on the 13th, and two goals and one assist today. Overall, it's 14 points in his last 10. Then you have Jordan Stahl on one of his trademark runs. Seems like he does this every year where he's quiet and then just, like, bursts out. He has 10 points in his last 10 games after a slow start. Brian, can we look into each of these guys and discuss what to expect moving forward? Like, Aho was dropped in a couple of shallower leagues that I made. Brian, in our joint league, he was dropped. Like, at the beginning of this week, we look like geniuses. We made a waiver claim on him. We had the number one priority. We, like, you know, hemmed and hot. Oh, should we waste our priority on him? Super glad we did. He's been amazing. He had 49 points last year. Many projected, like, 60 points for Aho this year. And obviously, with his slow start, people were starting to think, oh, maybe 60 is a bit high. Now he's on this run of 17 points in 19 games on the year overall. Do you think still approximately 60 is a reasonable expectation for Sebastian Ajo? Or should we like even make that higher? So I had him at 55 or 60 points. And when he was slumping, I still thought that's the pace he'd end up producing it. And then I actually just last week or the week before recently figured him to be back, like maybe scale back to 55 points, you know, because Carolina was being their usual non-offensive selves. And then, uh, then this happened. So I guess what I'll do is I'll put him back at at least a 55 point pace up to 60 points, still somewhere in there. Carolina is still not a super offensive team. This whole line as a whole has been shooting, well, going into today's matches, which I actually haven't figured into this calculation. They had 11 goals on 71 shots on this little run they're on, uh, which figures into about a 15.5% shooting percentage, which is too high. It's probably be about half that. So there'll be less points for all of them to go around. This is a wonderful, a lovely run. And Aho is the straw that stirs the drink in making this line click and produce. I'm sure of that. So of the three, he's going to have the best pace, but I still am reluctant to put him anywhere too high above a 55 point pace the rest of the way. Wow, he's almost at a point per game now, but Brian, he's so stingy with his points. Okay, so I guess if you're saying he's your favorite, like if we look at Tara Vinen now, he has been hyped for a long time. Like on our show, I remember we were hyping him back when he was on Chicago, saying like, just wait till this guy gets into the top six, he's going to be something. Last year, kind of a disappointment in his first year on Carolina, only 42 points in 81 games. He's got now 19 and 19 so far after his three-point game today. I guess I was going to ask you, is he a reasonable bet for 60 points this year? But assuming you only have Aho at closer to 55, I guess no? A reasonable bet for Teravainen to hit 60, that that really is a stretch to me. I'll say he's a reasonable bet for a 50-point pace the rest of the way. There's that wet blanket you predicted. This is a, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy or some version of it. Uh, at the 50-point pace would still be a meaningful step forward for Teravainen. Keep in mind, he only just turned 23 at the start of this season. And 55 is a mark for him to aim for in the future. And there is upside for 60. I'm just not convinced that him becoming a 60-point player is what's happening right now. He had just two goals and nothing else over his first seven games. And of course, last season, you mentioned his point total was in the low 40s. And uh, going into tonight, there were only three games in which he had scored a goal. Now four games, but he's scoring in bunches. Uh, which doesn't really mean that he's going to be super streaky or that he's any more capable of scoring goals than someone else. It is just a way to point out that this hasn't been a steady outpour of goals. So that's why I am sticking closer to 50 points for him. Boring. 50 points. That's like basically free agent fodder. You're saying like ride Teravinen while he's hot and then drop him as soon as he goes cold again. That sounds like what you're saying about him. Pretty much. Okay, well, good to know. And I guess you'll say the same about Jordan Stahl. I know every year we talk about Jordan Stahl, this amazing run. Every year you predict that he's going to slow down. You always bring up he has a super high shooting percentage or something. And every year you are right. So, uh, I mean, Stahl, at the end of the day, with all of his good runs that he's had, he's never had over 50 points in a season in Carolina. 
I was going to ask, is this potentially his year to do it? But I'm guessing you're going to say for sure no. He's currently on a 65-point pace with 15 points in 19 games. But obviously, he's going to have to keep pace with the rest of his line. So I, I know what you're going to You don't even have to say. You're going to say Jordan Stahl, ride him while he's hot, and then dump him. Dump him like a hot potato. Do you dump hot potatoes? I never get these uh, analogies right. It's not even an analogy. I don't get any of my words right. Idiom. <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, yeah, let me flip the question on you. Like, is this the year that Jordan Stahl, you know, exceeds his past production? Uh, Why would this be the year that Jordan Stahl exceeds his past production? He does have two maturing scoring types are randing into form, Teravainen and Aho, good line mates to have. But like you said, Elon, even with the wild runs he's had in previous years, he's never surpassed 48 points, which makes me skeptical that he's going to do it this year, mind you. Some of that time, Jordan Stahl was playing with Joachim Nordstrom and Andre Nestrasil. But other times he played with brother Eric and Elias Lindholm, who should be, you know, about as good as Aho and Teravainen as linemates. Although looking at the line's numbers, Aho and Teravainen are the best steady set of linemates that Jordan Stahl has had in Carolina. The thing with anyone in Carolina is, is that the Hurricanes have had just one player crack 50 points in each of the last three years. It was Eric Stahl once then Jeff Skinner twice. So thinking that Jordan Stahl is suddenly going to get to 60 points, that's a bit rich for me. Well, I I didn't say 60. I said, is he going to crack 50 for his first time? Uh, But yeah, I feel like you asked and answered the question. You said you're going to flip it on me. Be like, why would he? And then you gave the exact reason because Aho and Tara Vinen are clearly really, really good players. And Aho is looking like he's going to have a career year. Like, how could he not? Last year was his rookie year. Anyways, okay, asked and answered. Brian, since we're here, Justin Falk was pointless in eight games going into today. I was ready to ask you all about if he's becoming a snoozer, but he broke out with two power play assists today. He only played 18 minutes and 48 seconds for what it's worth. So that's a little bit concerning. Like he's not being used like a top defenseman, but clearly he is still the top power play defenseman, which is what we say every week when we talk about Justin Falk. It's like, he's still the top power play defenseman. So you have to expect points will come at some point. They came today. When's the next time they'll come? Are we going to have to wait another eight games? Like in general, like before today, were you thinking Falk owners could stream him out for some non-top power play guys who maybe help with peripherals? You know, you have your Eric Johnson's, your Boy Chucks, even like on his team, like Slavin is doing pretty well like has more points than Falk or at least did going into today or would you still hold on to Falk no matter what just because he's top power play and gives the shots and the hits you know me Elon of course I wouldn't have dropped Falk yet not for those guys anyway and and I'll tell you why in a minute there's no doubt it's been a terrible season for Justin Falk when we last brought him up two weeks ago because well it was not quite as bad two weeks ago because not as many games had passed with him doing nothing I still remained optimistic, noting that Falk's shot rates were actually up, and there was but one low number, a 25% IPP, when we're used to seeing it at 50%, and that number explained why his offense has gone missing and why I thought it would return. And all that, even going into today's game where he did finally get some points, remained true, except that between last time and this time, that 25% IPP dipped down to an insanely low 15% IPP. That's abominable it doesn't it doesn't get that low even for like the worst guys you'd expect so Falk just continued to not manage to get points on goals that were scored while he's on the ice I believe that number will bounce back and that he'll bounce back in the meantime yeah you are looking at a guy who going into tonight had just three points so far this year and who only had 37 points last year not a fantastic number so if you think that that is something that's not going to be jumped on by your competition I guess you can stream him out if you're in the sort of league where 35, 40 point defensemen are just kind of ignored in free agency, even though I think Falk's better than that. 
Maybe your fellow poolies in your league aren't quite aware of that. Uh, though I do honestly think that Justin Falk still has a similar chance of producing as the Boyd Chucks, the Eric Johnsons, and the Slavens, and that's why I wouldn't be dropping him. And I'm not getting bent out of shape about his power play time either. He's often been in like the 55% range uh, as for the amount of his team's power play time that he gets. And he's there right now, and he had been for several games before the one where it went down below 50%, which happens like once every five or six games. And I think that's just like a line starting anomaly, like just the way the, the lines worked out for that game. So it's worth keeping an eye on but not a trend until we see it happen a few games in a row. And just to clarify, I'm talking about that power play time share being below 50%. I expect it to stay above 50%. The thing that Falk has going for him is there really isn't anyone else on Carolina who stepped up to prove themselves capable in that role. Okay, sounds good. So, so far, no surprises. All the players playing hotter than they usually do. Brian saying they'll come down. All the players like Falk doing worse than they normally do. Brian saying they'll do better. Okay, let's see if we'll find some anomaly that you think might stay consistent as we continue with the show. I'm not sure if you're going to with this one, though, but I got to bring up another guy who, like Jordan Stahl, is known to go on runs and then go cold. Talk about Craig Smith over in Nashville. He's definitely enjoyed Kyle Turris joining the team as his one goal and one assist yesterday brought him to four goals and two assists in his last two games. So really nice run for Craig Smith, who's probably still available to a lot of people in their free agencies. Smith has been playing on a line with Turris and Kevin Fiala on line two and has also been on the top power play with Arvidsson, Forsberg, Johansson, and P.K. Subban. So we'll get to that later. That's a bit of a surprise. But yeah, is it time for people to jump on Smith while he's on the top power play in Nashville? At one point, Smith looked like he could be fantasy relevant. Like back, like I guess four seasons ago, he put up 52 points. But then after that, he steadily declined like 43 then 37 and then only 29 points last year. But now he's on line two with finally a good center in Nashville and tourists. And he's on the top power place. So that's pretty good, right? Yeah, that's a pretty good situation for Craig Smith. And what happened between now and that season a few years ago where he did make a good impression was that his time on ice dipped into third liner territory. Uh, he started off by playing with Nick Spalling and David Legwand. And then actually got to play with Mike Ribeiro and Philip Forsberg for a little bit. Uh, but even then, he was not getting the time that you'd expect someone to be playing with Philip Forsberg to be getting after a three-year decline in that ice time. It is coming back now. And also his power play time on ice. Last year, that disappeared almost entirely. It was cut in half down to about a minute per game. And this year, it's currently at a career high on average. So obviously, Craig Smith's production ebbs and flows with that deployment. His career high power play reduction was 20 points back in his rookie season. That's what he's going to need to get to be a 50-point player again. Yeah, I definitely am not even so concerned about Smith being like a 50-point player or not. I'm more thinking, like, do you grab him now as a free agent to stream while he's on this top power play and on this nice run? Like, Brian, I'm curious, for a, like a short-term streamer, who would you rather have between Kyle Turris and Craig Smith? Like, right now, like, Turris has a better track record, obviously. Uh, but like they're on the same line at even strength and Smith is on the top power play while Turris isn't. I see a logical path to either guy between Smith and Turris. If you need power play points, then go for the guy who's on that top unit, which is Craig Smith. Otherwise, I feel like Turris is the one I want, although you could work on the assumption that Smith will get similar even strength points as Turris because they're playing together, plus that power play deployment. So logically, Smith seems better still that way. But I still think that Kyle Turris is better at hockey. So it's hard to turn your back on him when he's out there. Smith, I also don't see this power play deployment lasting forever. So should you be making a move today that could have a better longer term impact, Turris is the one that I would want. 
Okay, well, I would be, if making a move for like the next week or two, or until Smith goes off the top power play, I'd take Smith. Why not? Okay, you know, Terse has been fine. Anyways, some patience finally being rewarded for people who held on to the current Nashville top liners. We've got Victor Arvidsson, who has five goals and three assists in his last seven games. I'm sure his owners didn't mind the news that Scott Hartnell's going to be out for a while, which means that top power play spot remains for Victor Arvidsson. It's weird that he wasn't there the whole season. Clearly, he's good there, right? And Ryan Johansson. Oh, sorry. Actually, we were corrected in our Facebook group. Ryan Johansson. We're taking extra steps on this podcast to you know, pronounce the names correctly. So we really appreciate it when people tell us that we're getting it wrong. Thanks to everyone also on Twitter at the end of the last episode. We got a lot of feedback. Anyways, Ryan Johansson finally had a strong showing with a goal and two assists versus Minnesota on Thursday. That performance was sandwiched by two goose eggs, but it's still nice to see that he can do something again. I'd currently be holding or adding him for now since like the Nashville top line and top power play looks like last year's where it went really well. So do you concur, even though Johansson hasn't Johansson hasn't totally like broken free and done amazing yet. He's still worth having just because he's on this top line and top power play. That's something I've maintained all along. I know it's been a painful few weeks for Ryan Johansson owners. And so there's been a lot of like, hold the course. He's going to be in a good spot at the end of the day. So here he is. And of course I concur that what's happening now, uh, you can be hopeful that it continues. It, and just to be clear, like I'm not saying it was so obvious to hold him through the last slump. It was awful. It was really bad. And in some leagues, you probably could have streamed him out. If you did, add him back. Yeah, I feel like when you're playing with Forsberg and Arvidsson, it's a good line. They did well last year. They should do well again this year. I don't see why not. Finally, let's take a look at this D on Nashville. I was shocked to see that P.K. Subban is on the top power play. That's like never happened. Subban had two assists yesterday versus Colorado, including a power play assist. He still overall has been kind of quiet lately. So it seems to me like maybe a good opportunity to buy low if P.K. Subban is now going to be the top power play defenseman. Is there any reason to think that this will or won't last? Like what's going on over there? It is really surprising because P.K. Subban has never been the power play one guy since coming to Nashville, even though that's what some of us hoped when the trade went down. I can't see any numerical reason for Roman Yosi to have been swapped out for P.K. Subban. Uh, the Predators' power play seems to be running just about the same with either guy's quarterback, though it has enjoyed a healthier shooting percentage with Subban at the helm that I'm not sure he's responsible for himself. I'd be a little nervous if I'm a Roman Yosi owner, uh, but not terribly, uh, but still enough to be reading the Nashville beat writers carefully to try and track the reasoning for the decision and any potential follow through. I've sent out a tweet to Adam Vingan. Uh, he's a good guy to follow for that stuff. I guess we'll update by next week. If this situation holds, you can tweet at him too. Why not? Let us know if you get an answer. Well, Brian, we have a Twitter account. So if people follow us, maybe you could retweet his answer when he, re- when he replies to you. How about that? Of course. Okay. So yeah, Roman Yosi, yeah, on the downside, he's off the top power play. On the on the plus side, though, he has a goal and three assists in his last four games, 12 points in 16 games overall on the season. So obviously Roman Yosi still doing pretty great. So I wouldn't be too, too concerned, though. I would prefer he'd be on the top power play if I owned him. Like I said, maybe take a sniff for Subban now, especially if it turns out that Brian's retweet confirms that Subban's going to be staying there for a while. Actually, Brian, though, the Nashville D-man who has the most points over the past couple of weeks is Matias Ekholm, who's on a three-game point streak with goals in each game and two assists. Strangely, this has come with a decrease in blocks. He's only put up like one or zero blocks in eight of his last nine games. So I guess this is one of these things you have to pay for. Like if you want to get points from Matias Ekholm, you don't get blocks. If you want blocks, you don't get points. Anyway, if Ekholm is a free agent, would you be jumping on him right now while he's on this really great hot streak? He's on the second power play with Roman Yosi. 
And I guess I also would ask like Ekholm over Falk, even though all my questions about Falk that I had planned sort of go out the window now that Falk had a good game. I can't put too much stock into like one good game. Like who cares that Falk had a good game? He, Falk is the same guy he was before and you probably would have still said Falk over Ekholm, right? Yeah, it makes it a lot easier for me to say Falk. Like I really was being tentative in all our notes to prepare for the show uh, to try and figure out, can I really say Falk over this guy and over this guy because of how cold he'd been? It's easier now to say yes because, hey, something happened. Um, Matisse, I call my series a guy who has like Brent Seabrook type upside, which I know is such a downer for you. But for me, it remains it being like 35 points, more are possible, and it'll get you some peripherals along the way. Okay, well, wait, Brent Seabrook upside is great for Brent Seabrook in his prime. <laughs> like, hopefully you're not saying he has Brent Seabrook circa 2017 upside. That's not so exciting. Well, that is what I'm saying. I think oh. that's what Seabrook offers, and that's what Ekholm offers, too. Okay, well, Seabrook is owned in a lot of leagues, so I guess you should pick up Ekholm. So, Brian, it sounds like you, you have Seabrook, so I guess you're going to be adding Ekholm if he's available to you, right? He's not available. What a shame. Okay, let's go to Chicago now. Looks like Nick Schmaltz is finally waking up. Brian, can I take some credit? When he was doing nothing, I know I said in the most sheepish voice, so I probably don't deserve any credit, but I was like, I still think that Nick Schmaltz will be good at one point just because he's playing with Patrick Kane. And obviously, maybe that was an obvious thing. But anyway, after going pointless for five games, Schmaltz is now on a three-game point streak with six assists over that span, three of them on the power play. Interestingly, Schmaltz has not been centering the Patrick Kane line. They put Artem Anisimov back as the center. Schmaltz has been on the wing, and it's going pretty well. And also on the power play, it's been, like the top power play has been Kane, Anisimov, Schmaltz, Brandon Saad, and... Cody Franson, which I don't want to get into again. I know that led to an argument last week. I'm not saying like drop Duncan Keith for Cody Franson, but Cody Franson is looking like a guy, by the way, that you should be considering adding in free agency. Maybe over Justin Falk. I don't know. No, I, I wouldn't take him over Justin Falk. Anyway, Brian, is it time for people now to pounce on Nick Schmaltz before it's too late? Or will he just slow down again? Chicago only plays two games next week, but then five the week after. So very tempting to grab him for the following week. Very tempting, for sure. And if you can tolerate Nick Schmaltz on your roster this week, in which Chicago only plays twice, this is very important for everyone to know schedule-wise, Chicago only plays twice this upcoming week, and both those times are nights where everybody's playing. So you'll likely be benching him uh, because, well, your roster will be full of your better players. But if you can tolerate that, then five games from him the following week probably beats three games from most other free agents. So for that reason you can go for him. What a weird power play in Chicago, by the way. You mentioned Franzen, but how many of these guys, aside from Kane and Saad, would be on a first unit anywhere else in the league? Like Schmaltz, Anisimov, and Cody Franzen? Uh, okay, but that Chicago power play is finally going, oddly enough. They have five power play goals on 13 opportunities in their last three games played, and four of those came from that t- weird top unit with Anisimov and Schmaltz cashing in nicely. Uh, Chicago, just for reference, five goals on the last 13 power plays. They had scored just twice on 33 power play opportunities over the eight games prior to this run. It is a big relief to everyone, except those such as myself, who are banking on Duncan Keith and Brett Seabrook being an important part of that power play. Right. Well, hopefully uh, things will change, but I guess they won't change anytime soon while it's rolling. So yeah, speaking of Anisimov, he's also on a three-game point streak with one goal versus New Jersey. Then he had a hat trick versus the Rangers, then a goal yesterday versus Pittsburgh. Are we back to like 50-point Anisimov if he's back on the Patrick Kane line? Keep in mind, like Anisimov very quietly, he had 45 points in 64 games last year. That's a 58-point pace. So that was really valuable. I feel like we always talk about Anisimov when we're making comparisons with like players who are centering really good players. And we're like, oh, well, he's probably just an Anisimov 
Nisimov. He's probably like only going to get like 45, 50 points, even though he's on this really good line. But Nisimov was like on a much higher pace than that last year. So what do you think about him as of now back on this line? Like if you were to compare him with Schmaltz and I'll throw out another name later, but for now, like Anisimov versus Schmaltz, like who would you take? I will take Anisimov, assuming that they're both playing with Kane. Uh, the weird thing about Anisimov is that over his last 84 games, he has maintained like exactly a 21% shooting percentage, which is wild. That means he scored 32 goals on his last 153 shots. That's crazy. He's never been a big shooter, like or this big a shooter before. He's actually always managed to be in the low and recently mid-teens. But this is a huge jump, and I'm not sure how much longer he can keep it up. Of course, this year is 10 goals on 48 shots, which, of course, I think is going to regress. But he's really, uh, he's really beat back regression for, like, over a season now. So good for him, and I will take him just for a little more certainty. I feel like at least we know if he's playing with Patrick Kane, he's at least going to be a half-point-per-game guy with upside for more. We'd like to think the same of Schmaltz. We just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, so maybe it's the kind of thing where you're more confident in Anisimov having a decent floor. Schmaltz might have a higher ceiling that we just haven't seen yet, but for now it sounds like you would take the conservative bet on Anisimov. Then we have this other guy who I should mention. Like we mentioned actually Alex Debrinkit last week, saying we're really interested in him now that he was back playing with Patrick Kane, but now he's not playing with Patrick Kane. He's on line three with Sharp and Hartman, but Debrinkit is on a four-game point streak with three goals and two assists in his last four games. So does he become someone you're interested in just because he's doing well, even if he's not on a good line? Like, would you take Debrinkit over Anisimov right now? No. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) Would you? Ah, I mean, probably not. I don't know. (laughs) Like, I'm always very shy about these third-line guys, but also if Debrinkit is doing well, maybe he could earn his way back into the top six. Chicago's been swapping things around so often. But yeah, I guess for now, give me Schmaltz. I'll I'll take Schmaltz over Anisima, but like all three of them seem pretty similar. They could all go either way. Same with Cody Franson, right? Who's still getting decent power play time, put up two assists versus the Rangers a couple games ago. So, you know, all these guys are guys who, like, could do well while they're playing. with. It seems like we're just, like, so excited about people playing with Patrick Kane. But why not? He's, he's great. And all these guys playing with him, we expect them to do stuff. Alex Dabrinkit not playing with him, still doing stuff. Yeah, that is the hope, right? If Dabrinkit keeps producing, then he earns his way up into the top six. But at the same time, you wonder, hey, if it's working so well on line three and everything else is going all right for Chicago, why would they mess with that either it could go either way. I would prefer knowing that my guy is going to be getting top six minutes. In the chat room, Alex is saying, remember Ryan Hartman? Yeah, I remember when I added him uh, on a week and he played like on the Monday and Tuesday and did nothing. Then I dropped him and then my opponent picked him up and he got like two goals the next game. It drove me crazy. So I hate that guy. He's off my list. No more mentions for Ryan Hartman. I'm keeping Carlson. I guess until he does something and then we're forced to talk about him. Okay, Brian, before we move on to some hot street goalies, and we have some really interesting ones. Why don't we first take a break and give some props to our friends who are sponsoring this episode. Those are the people over at FanDuel. Man, sometimes you make these decisions, like you add a Hartman. Oh, I just said I wasn't going to mention it. But okay, one more time. You add him, then you're like, why did I add this guy? Why did I drop this other guy? What a huge mistake. With FanDuel, it doesn't matter because it's daily fantasy hockey. You get to set your lineup anew, fresh, every single time you play. And it's a ton of fun. There's new contests starting every day. You play whenever you want. Something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from. Starting at just $1, you like you pick a contest, you choose your team, you watch your score real time. Yeah, have a good time. You try to win. I've been trying to win in our weekly Keeping Carlson FanDuel League and failing miserably. You know, doing these ads for FanDuel are really exposing me as being not great at fantasy hockey. I want people to know I'm doing well, like in my season long leagues. I'm I'm near the top in all of them, but in FanDuel, 
man, it's hard. Like I thought I made such smart decisions. And like last week, Brian, I made such smart decisions for my cheap guys. And I think those should be the harder ones, right? Like I added Marco Scandella to my team. He had an assist. I had Justin Schultz. Like he was pretty cheap and I got him. And then I just thought like all I need now is to pick some expensive guys since I saved so much money. Tyler Sagan, like nothing. 1.6 points versus Florida. Shifley, nothing versus Arizona. Like Winnipeg versus Arizona. Anyway, I'll stop whining. The winner was Joker wins. He had a killer lineup. He grabbed Connor McDavid for the Edmonton's 8-2 win. He also had Dreisaitl for that game and Oscar Kleffbaum. I guess that's how you do it, right? You grab the people that you think their team is going to score a ton of goals, and he nailed it. Anyways, you can join us playing FanDuel every week. On Tuesday is when we have our weekly league. You just check out keepingcarlson.com slash FanDuel or FanDuel.com slash Carl, K-A-R-L. They'll both lead you to the same place. You could sign up for our weekly league. And I, I got to warn you, though, you're not going to win if you sign up for this week because I have a really good feeling I'm going to take it this time. Yeah, a lot of those good feelings have turned to bad. Meanwhile, I've done pretty well. Uh, but if you haven't joined us before and you want to take us both on, you'll also get free entry into the NHL Breakaway. If you're new users, There's a, that's a contest with thousands of dollars in cash prizes guaranteed to pay out when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. So just visit FanDuel.com, sign up with promo code CARL, K-A-R-L, FanDuel.com, promo code CARL, and remember that it is void where prohibited. Of course. Let's get into some goalies now. Brian, we've got to talk about Anton Kudobin. He's on fire. And no, I'm not joking around. Like Anton Kudobin is doing really well. His 36 saves in a 3-1 win over San Jose yesterday brought him to a 5-0-2 record on the season. He hasn't lost in regulation. And he has a save percentage of 935. Yes, Anton Kudobin. And maybe more importantly is that he got the start yesterday, even though he played on Thursday. So Boston wasn't just playing Kudobin to rest Rask. They chose to play Anton Kudobin and it worked out for them. He pulled out another great win. So like at this point, Brian, we got to start talking about the Bruins and Tuka Rask and Anton Kudobin. Like what's going on here? Tuka Rask has been so bad. He's lost three in a row. He has an 897 save percentage on the year. If you look at Rask's game log, he literally only has had three really good games like I looked at it like if you, I'm counting a really good game is over a 906 save percentage that's not you don't even have to be really good that, that, that would even be good but yeah only three of his games have been above 906 it's terrible so my obvious two questions to you are first of all if Anton Kudobin is available in free agency do people need to pounce on him ASAP because he might be the new starting goalie of the Boston Bruins and then secondly if people are Tuka Rask owners, is it safe to drop him? And like, it, like assuming you could get a somewhat okay goalie instead, like is Rask now in the same tier as guys like, I don't know, Lanner and Ranta, like Varlamov, these like lower, lower tier guys, like the worst starters of the worst. Is Rask in that group now? I'm going to just re-emphasize the harshness of Rask's seasons by restating what you said. Tuka Rask has been a 906 goalie or less in every one of his appearances this year, save for three of them. That's very, very bad. Kudobin sure seems like a smart ad. And by saying that now, uh, you and I are eating some crow here as we were really uninterested in him when Rask went down with injury earlier this year. And I'm starting to wonder if that injury is still a nag for Tuka Rask. He didn't miss a ton of time. He's come back. He's still been awful. Uh, I don't know if I'd go as far as dropping Tuka Rask, obviously it depends on who the other free agent goalies are in your league. Like if Rask would be the only starter type in free agency, then you should probably hang on. But Rask probably does end up in a similar tier as Laner, Ranta, and Varlamov, though if he can work his way back up to league average save percentage, Boston, I think, has a better chance at picking up wins than any of the teams that those other guys play for. 
And I still think that Rask does have a shot at starting games and getting his save percentage back to league average. I don't see Kudobin as like a super serious threat yet. There's too much history with Rask and the Bruins for them to turf Rask after one push from the backup. And I also don't know that this is a push that Kudobin can sustain. It's going to be an interesting week or two in the Bruins crease, though. If you have Rask, you should probably cuff him with Kudobin just to be safe. And mostly because for the first time and maybe forever, you can't rest easy thinking that you're going to get guaranteed starts with Rask in your lineup. One more nightmare note that sort of contradicts my sort of optimism about Tuka Rask is that his penalty kill save percentage is off the charts good, which is very bad news because that number is unsustainable and it's propping up what's already a bad number. So if that were average, 897 would look beautiful compared to what he really should have if that regresses back to normal without the rest of his game picking up as I really hope it will. But again, with injury and age, we can't be 100% certain that it will be. It's time to think of a plan B or C if you're a Tuka Rask owner. Yeah, in one of my leagues, it's like a shallow league, 18 league. I think I've said this before, like Rask was dropped and I was pretty shocked. I was like, oh, that's weird. What? This guy's dumb. And then, But then I looked and I didn't really want to add him out of free agency. I didn't have anyone I wanted to drop. Like, you know, he stayed in free agency forever. Finally, someone added him. And I thought to myself, oh, I guess I missed my chance to get Rask. But, you know, like I feel like it was smart to drop him. And the guy who added him is probably regretting it now. He's pretty crap right now. But like you say, maybe he'll bounce back. Or maybe these injuries are catching up to him. Like, he gets injured almost every single season. Anyways, obviously, we're on Boston. And we have lots of other injuries to discuss, unfortunately. Brad Marchand has missed three games now with an undisclosed injury. He's on the IR. One of our patrons was asking about trying to trade for Marchand. And I was kind of like, go for it. Brian was like more apprehensive. I feel like it's hard when you have these undisclosed injuries. Like, who knows how serious it's going to be? Like, on one hand, Brad Marchand, he's, like, probably a for-sure 75-plus-point guy when he's healthy. Though, of course, who knows? Maybe there'll be an announcement tomorrow that Marchand's getting shut down for months and months and months. Like, what do you think, Brian? What should people do at this point? I guess we can't really advise. It's literally an undisclosed injury. But would you be trying to trade for Marchand now? If you owned him, would you be trying to drop him to reduce the risk? Or would you say, like, roll the dice, he's too good, it's worth it? My apprehension is, yeah, this is a weird injury that Marchand is involved with. He came back for, he was hurt. He came back for a game and then he was back to being hurt again. And that sort of pattern, we've seen it in the past. It's become a bit of a red flag. I'm not already like sure that something is going to be wrong in the long term for Marchand. But this weird pattern tells me that, well, A, uh, either a player was back in the lineup too soon and potentially made the injury worse or maybe the injury was misdiagnosed and we still aren't totally clear on what it is and neither is the team. And that's why this is becoming a difficult situation. So yeah, that's why I'm reluctant to bet big on a guy who's in the middle of that. And I doubt you're getting such a big discount on Marchand, like on the injured version of Brad Marchand compared to the healthy one. So whether you should try and make a move for him or not depends entirely on the extent of the discount that you can swing for picking up an injured player and taking on that risk. If you can give a package that undercuts his normal scoring expectations, like of 75 points by about 10 points, if you can make a deal that sees you, that that you would normally make for someone who's going to get 60 or 65 points, then I'm definitely good for that. But still even a little nervous. I just, I don't like trading for injured players. Yeah, well, that's how you could sometimes make a killing, right? If you get it right. But yeah, Marshawn is out. Uh, Bjork is out. On the plus side, David Krejci is back. So here's what the Bruins forward lines were looking like yesterday. Bergeron, Heinen, and Pasternak. And then Krejci, DeBrusque, and a guy named Peter Sehelarik. Sehelarik. We tried to look at it. I don't, I don't think I did it that right. Peter 
It, it looks like Celeric, but it's like Tehelaric. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Bergeron, Celeric, and Krejci and Pasternak on the top power play. Uh, no points in two games for Krejci since his return. Also, no shots on goal, so just nothing for Krejci. He had six points in six games before getting injured, though, so I feel like that should make him have a bit of a longer leash if you have him. Like, what do you think, Brian? Hard to be optimistic about someone who had this injury and now has no points and no shots in two games, but maybe a good time to still add him if he's in free agency just because of what he was doing before and what he did last year. Yeah, in some leagues, he still could be a good under-the-radar free agent pickup, especially if your team is really struggling. Like, if your bottom spots are just streaming out nobodies who aren't helping you, Krejci's better than a bunch of nobodies. I think he still has some good runs in him. But keep your expectations still on the lower side of, say, 55, rather than hoping on the upside above it that we had gotten used to from him. I think 50 to 55, uh, 55 being the upside, is about what you can expect. Okay, and then so we've got Danton Heinen, who's on a three-game point streak. We mentioned him last week that we were into him. Nice to see him produce with this opportunity, being on the top line. But Brian, it seems like we have a new guy to talk about, and that is Peter Selarik, who is on the top power play. And he scored his first ever NHL goal yesterday versus San Jose. So do you expect more of that to come for Peter while Marshawn and Bjork are out? Like, who is this guy? He's a 22-year-old picked at the end of the third round back in 2013 and was expected going into the year to be an early call-up from Providence. And, well, here he is. He had 44 points in 55 AHL games since turning pro at the outset of last season. The sense I have is that he could be a middle six-winger in the NHL if all goes well for him. But, like, look at Anders Bjork, who's got more upside and had nine points in 16 games. I'd expect that to be about as much as I continue using the pronoun he, because I don't even want to try and pronounce Peter Selaric, uh, that's about as much as he can do based on what I've read about him. So keep your expectations real tempered. Yeah, this is definitely someone that you're like potentially streaming in for a game or two. If the schedule says that it's worthwhile, get a couple games off of someone on the top power play. You never know if a power play pump will come. But yeah, it sounds like you're saying if you weren't so excited about Bjork before he got injured, then you shouldn't be so excited about Selarik. Uh, sadly, Tori Krug is injured again day to day with an upper body injury. Unsurprisingly, Charlie McAvoy has seen an increase in his ice time. He has points in each of his last two games with Krug out. So McAvoy was pointless in eight games before this Krug injury. If he was dropped in your league, because he was on such a cold streak, i definitely jump on him while he's the top guy. I think there's no question. Yeah, I had McAvoy down to be a snoozer this week. He'd really done very little for the last couple of weeks, but of course, Krug's injury is a shot in the arm to his value. You want the de facto power play one quarterback, and so go ahead and grab him, see what he can do for as long as Krug is out. Krug has been day-to-day for a while now with very little information in the updates we've been given. So just like Marchand, it could be short, could be long, Keep a close eye on it. In the meantime, McAvoy is someone to add. Yeah, and if McAvoy could keep this run going with Krug out for like three or four games, and then if news comes out that Krug is going to be coming back soon, that's your time to try to sell McAvoy to someone who just looks at the numbers over the past few games and is like, oh man, this guy's amazing, doesn't realize that Krug's going to take a spot soon. Anyways, Brian, we were on goalies. I know I remember, so let's cycle back to goalies. We talked about Kudobin. Let's give some credit to the ageless Roberto Luongo, who is on a really great run now. He's had four straight really strong starts, including a 2 nothing shutout of San Jose on Thursday. He's up to a 9 save percentage on the year for Roberto Luongo and he was kind of bad last year so it's a huge bounce back for him right now he's definitely worth running with and Reimer is a total snoozer right like Reimer has been bad Luongo has been great no reason to like hold the handcuff or whatever you could just drop Reimer outright I would think and Brian would you drop Tuka Rask for Roberto Luongo if you had the option 
Well, first off with Reimer, he really blew his opportunity. He didn't do anything really to give the Panthers a reason to look at him as a potential number one or one A or even one B in the window he had to show himself off while Luongo was out. So Luongo's back. He's doing well. He's the guy for now. I'm still doubtful that Luongo is this good. I'll go back to my most recent line on Luongo, which is that last year he barely managed to be nearly average in save percentage. And I actually had him down as having overperformed thanks to a very high penalty kill save percentage. He's still doing a little too well on the PK, but he's performing at about average at even strength, which is honestly a win for him at this point. So uh, yeah, entrenched as the number one in Florida at the moment. And I would prefer him to Tuka Rask. Wow, man, Tuka Rask. You stink. But yeah, I agree. Like, I don't want Tuka Rask. He was already bad last year. So come on, enough of him. This is another guy I'd rather have over Tuka Rask. That's Jimmy Howard. He's doing a great job proving that last year's awesome numbers were not a fluke. He's had five really strong starts now. He's up to a 931 save percentage on the season. He has more wins than losses. Like, that's something nobody would have expected. We assume Jimmy Howard's going to be on this team that's going to have a lot of trouble winning. But no, Detroit, I think Detroit's winning today, aren't they? Or no, they're 3-3 in overtime right now with Colorado. We'll see if Jimmy Howard can pull out another win. Actually, Brian, in our joint league, our opponent has Jimmy Howard. So I'm kind of hoping Colorado can pull this one out in overtime or in the shootout. Anyway, Brian, like maybe the Red Wings knew what they were doing when they decided to protect Jimmy Howard and expose Mrazek to Vegas. Like Howard has been great and Mrazek has been not great, right? Everyone mocked at the time, but Mrazek has been super Super weekly. He shot out Edmonton for nothing a few weeks ago. But aside from that, he's been bad in almost every start he's had. So, Brian, anyway, at this point, are you finally a Howard believer? Would you drop Rask for him? And overall, like, what do you expect going forward for Jimmy Howard? Come on, Elon. Vegas, who, who had to have Dansk, Subban, and Legacy step in because Marc-Andre Fleury has been injured. They couldn't have used Peter Mrazek and Detroit was smart to leave him unprotected. Uh, that's that's ridiculous revisionism there. Mrazek has been an NHL goalie and could still be. But yes, I agree with you that in Detroit, he's in definite number two territory right now with 1B starting to seem out of reach based on these recent unimpressive starts. However, I think if he was able to be in a starting role and play a bunch of games in a row, well, I feel like he at least would have as good a chance as Dansk, Subban, and Legasse. So play well. Uh, but going back to Jimmy Howard, uh, Howard, yeah, he is now, I'm, I'm ready to say he is actually looking like the player I thought he was um, nine years ago and then thought he definitely wasn't. And now I'm still not sure he is, but at least he's established that his high watermark goes pretty high. His number is very impressive. Um, and it's funny, Elon, because he definitely fits the older and previously injured goalie mold that you've been referring to often when declaring that some guys... Uh, like Carey Price, for instance, not to reignite that debate, but might that older goalies who have an injury history, they might just be done. And that's it with their careers. Howard is going to be 34 years old by the time the season is over. Uh, he's seeing a bump from a very strong shorthanded save percentage. I don't know, though. Like, it sounds like I'm taking you to task, but I'm not sure I am because he's been a 929 goalie. Uh, in his last 41 games, I'm still not totally sold, but for the time being, I'm at least renting. How about that? <laughs> okay, so, sounds good. <laughs> but I like how you totally took me to task on something I didn't even say. Like, I said that everyone was mocking Detroit for protecting Howard instead of Mrazek. And then you're telling me about how, like, Vegas... Like, I didn't say anything about Vegas. I said that people mocked Detroit. I think it sounds like Detroit made the smart decision. Yeah, I guess Detroit did make the right decision for the short term. 
I don't know. Like, I, and I know I went on about like if I think Detroit exposed Mrazek thinking that he shouldn't have been taken. This this was my thinking, and that Vegas like would have no interest in him, and then Vegas fulfilled that by not taking him, even though I think they should have. It's a it's a complicated thing, but I'm going to give you the win on this one. Also, Brian, even though I didn't make that point. <laughs> don't Vegas haven't the Vegas goalies been really good and like are you saying like oh because Vegas had like five goalie injuries shouldn't they have like taken Morazic like I don't think they were expecting that like Malcolm Subban we're gonna get to him soon he's been good like uh, I guess Pickard they swapped him some you know in some convoluted way for Subban like Marc-Andre Fleury was good like what would they have even done with Peter Morazic assuming their goalies would have been healthy I feel like everyone was smart Peter Morazic has shown that he's not very good that's all I meant to say okay okay <laughs> uh so since we're on Detroit don't look now. Larkin and Mantha, and this is before today's game. I haven't even checked. But Larkin and Mantha going into today both had 19 points in 20 games. That's basically a point-per-game pace. Is it time to officially adjust our expectations for these guys? I feel like they're a big part of the reason why Jimmy Howard is winning all those games. Like, he's playing well, but also Detroit is scoring some goals. I feel like we both considered Larkin and Mantha as, like, potential 50 to 55-point guys. Maybe that was even, like, a high expectation, especially for Larkin. Are you ready to call these guys 60-plus? I mean, you weren't ready to call Ajo 60-plus. I imagine it's going to be hard for you to call Larkin or Mantha 60-plus. It's going to be impossible for me to call them 60-plus. Mantha is shooting 20%, which is helping Larkin contribute to an unusual number of points that are available while he's on the ice. I'm still thinking 50 maybe 55 points for both, but that's definitely a step up for at least Larkin from whom we really weren't sure what to expect this season. Uh, so that said, I'm happy to have seen this version of Larkin show up again. Someone else in Detroit who's doing really well these days, Justin Ablocator. I haven't checked in on the rest of the game, but he did score in the game that's going on as we're recording this. And that put him up to at least two goals and five assists for seven points in his last six games, 12 shots in there and 11 pims for anyone who still likes those. <laughs> yeah. So some good players, like also after the CU has been doing pretty well. So there's a lot of interesting guys there, but yeah, anyways, at the very least we're like, like pick Mantha or Larkin up if they're available. I'm sure they're not. If anything, Brian's saying the sell high. Okay. Uh, we're still on goalies. Frederick Anderson seems to have finally shaken off his early season rust as he's put up two straight shutouts, four straight games with an above 943 save percentage. So he's just been so, so good. His save percentage is now only up to 914. That just shows how badly he was doing before that. But it's climbing up. He's just about at league average. I'm sure he'll pass it soon. We're expecting his save percentage to keep growing, right? It's not going to stay at 914. We thought going into the year he'd be around 918. I think that's where he was last year, 917, 918. Like to me, Brian, I see Frederick Anderson as like a near top tier goalie in any league that counts saves. Like he plays a ton of games. I feel like, you know, even like Cam Talbot is known as the goalie that plays a ton. I feel like the backup in Edmonton, Brossois, he's probably better than McElhenney. So I feel like Anderson in the end is going to play even more games. So there's going to be a ton of saves for Anderson. The Leafs score like a ton of goals. So I expect Anderson to be able to get wins. Like he even wins games when he plays poorly. Like the Leafs, even though Anderson was a below 900 goalie for a lot of the start of the year, Anderson was still getting wins. So I don't know. I really like Frederick Anderson in fantasy right now. He's he's doing great now. And I think he's in a great situation. I don't really even have a question for you. Just any comment about my thoughts on Frederick Anderson. I guess it, since we're on the Leafs, you sent me a link to an article on The Athletic earlier today. You have this thing where you just send me articles and you like give me homework and I have to read it. So you want to maybe tell us about that? Sure. Well, first off, on Anderson, the point you're making is absolutely true. It's great to be playing for the team that gives one of the the highest uh, numbers of run support in the NHL. So good 
spot for any goalie to be. You're also right about McElhenney being a really low-end backup who's not going to really ever push at all and should never be trusted to tend the net too often through the year, especially if Toronto does find themselves in some kind of positioning battle moving into the playoffs. Um, and yeah, the, what I wanted to comment on was to note that Marner, uh, Mitch Marner was playing with Matthews recently. And the article was just about how they enjoy each other's company, both on and off the ice. And all it just had me thinking was that if Marner is somehow still a free agent in your league uh, after being dropped from his early season struggles, uh, this would absolutely be an interesting time to stream him in Though we already said as much last week. You might be too late to do it. Definitely a nice situation in Toronto. Like, well, everyone's doing well. Happy times. They destroyed the Habs. Um, we're not going to talk about the Habs this week. We talk about them a lot. I think there was one news about them. What's his name? Some guy is injured right now. I'm totally blanking. Reckoning. That's it. He's out. So, I don't know. Take a look at the Habs lines. I don't want to talk about them. By the way, Brian, uh, Detroit lost just like I wanted. And Eric Johnson had two points today. I've been, I've been touting Eric Johnson for a while, saying how he was not getting points, even though he was on the ice for a lot of goals. Now he's finally getting some luck. All right. Where are we here? So, the Athletic, the Leafs. Okay, I want to talk about Calgary now. Brian, we totally nailed Furland last show. He's been great. He was great going into the last episode, and he's been great all this week. Four points in three games, sticking with Goudreau and Monahan on the top line and the top power play. I feel like if you picked up Furland, you've got to stick with him for next week if you have him, right? And if he's somehow still in free agency, you have to jump on him right now? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't think that like this is his new production pace that you can continue expecting, but you cannot overlook him while he is flaming this hard and playing with such good line mates. Flaming. I like it. Because they're the flames. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a really, that was a high-end pun right there. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be the episode title now. <laughs> or no, it's probably going to be some reference to a band that no one's heard of. Where are you probably. leaning? Um, haven't decided yet. Okay, well, that's always the fun. When you download the episode, you'll know what the title is. And just remember, Brian uh, comes up with the titles. <laughs> <laughs> that's Elon's way of saying that you hate them and don't blame him. There was a good one a few weeks ago. Because I picked it, the times they are do changing. You wanted to make it some reference to something no one had heard of, and I changed that. I thought it was pretty good. No, mine was going to be Duchesne in a sense trade, which was a stretch, but sounds like insane in the membrane. Yeah, it doesn't really. Okay, uh, that was fun on Calgary. That how Mike Smith missed a game with an injury, and then Eddie Lack came in and was a total disaster. And Brian, you like messaged me saying, "Oh man, I lost my fab bid." For Eddie Lack, my opponent ended up getting him. That's so annoying. Then I was just telling you, like, don't worry, Lack sucks. And Lack, he was a disaster. So I'm just going to say this. Let me know if you disagree. If Smith gets injured again, and let's 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 be real here, it's Mike Smith. He's going to get injured at some point during the season. Don't rush to add Eddie Lack. Add the next guy. Add John Gillies. Right. I guess so. If you think that John Gillies is going to start ahead of Eddie Lack, which I'm not sure is going to be the case. There was a lot of positive talk when Smith went down and Eddie Lack, oh, this is his time. He's made some really positive progress in practice. The coach said he'd liked how he'd been working out lately. And then, of course, that happened. So you, you have to think that John Gillies might be the next best fantasy option if you're looking for a relevant numbered start in terms of save percentage. However, I don't know that he's going to start ahead of Eddie Lack. Yeah, he won't start ahead of he won't start ahead of Eddie Lack for the first game. And then Eddie <laughs> Lack will let in like six goals on 18 shots, get pulled, and then that'll be the end. I'm telling you, that's what's gonna happen. Guaranteed. It's like when Niemi, when you know, when they brought Niemi in. I call like I'm so sure about this. Eddie Lack stinks. Trust me. You are you're crushing me. I have to say, I'm coming out wrong on everything this episode. It's a clear win for you. Good job. Well, you didn't well, I mean, you didn't call Eddie Lack on the show. 
No, that's true. But I have liked Eddie Locke for a while. And and I'm still saying that he's going to start. But you're right. I, I feel like that is a, a pretty logical thought is that if Mike Smith does get injured again, Eddie Locke plays, he stinks. John Gillies plays, maybe doesn't stink so bad. Yeah. Okay. And I guess also on Calgary, uh, TJ Brody, he's up to 14 points in 19 games. I feel like we should probably start giving him some more respect. I feel like we're always mocking like uh, Dave, one of our patrons has his stream scheme show. And he is always like saying like, put your best players on the power play. And he's like, why do the flames have TJ Brody on the top power play? We always say like, why don't the flames put like Hamilton on the top power player, Giordano. It's so weird how they have Brody there. Meanwhile, Brody is like putting up points. He's got a 60 point pace right now. If you have TJ Brody, are you trying to sell high? Or are we starting to be convinced that he's he's decent and he, he's there and he's doing well there and he's probably going to stay there and he's probably worth owning in fantasy? Okay, yeah. So here's uh, here's the thing about TJ Brody. He's on a pretty good power play unit. That helps. And he's managed to pick up a point on eight of Calgary's 14 power play goals this year, which is impressive, but that's far too high a number of goals for him to be getting in on. Last year, he had a point on 12 of his team's 52 power play goals. And by the way, I'm not talking on ice here. I'm talking... Total power play goals scored for the team. Uh, that's a massive difference. That's like getting a point on 65 or 70% of your team's, all your team's power play goals from when last year you were getting only like 20%, one in five. Uh, so that's a huge reason that TJ Brody is out to the numbers he's got so far because of those eight power play points moving quickly. At even strength, not so good in his numbers. He's in a five-way tie for ninth on his team in scoring with just three points, and he's tied for 14th in primary points with just a single one of them. Five of Brody's eight power play points have been secondary assists, although that does kind of make a little more sense on the power play where you have the D more involved in creating, and it could be a two-step process starting with a shot from the point or a pass to one of the flanks. Uh, But Brody still has the worst primary to secondary ratio of any flame on the top power play unit. So you said give him more respect, and then I went into all this about maybe we shouldn't. I think you could try selling high on him. I think it, this is a good question uh, to try and decide if you'd want TJ Brody or Justin Falk. This seems like a situation where I would be really tempted to say take TJ Brody. Oh, <laughs> I was sure you'd say take Justin Falk. Yeah, I mean, Brody's the one producing. I guess it depends on your categories, right? Falk's going to help you more in shots and hits. But if we're looking at straight, like, points-only league, then I think I would probably go Brody. All right, Brian. Oh, by the way, I mentioned the Scream scheme, and no one knows what it is. Like, this is a podcast, like I said, one of our patrons make. Actually, we are sharing the episodes on our patron feed. If you, like, are a patron of the podcast, you get access to all of our bonus episodes. You can also get access to the Stream scheme. Otherwise, you could search for it on SoundCloud. That's where Dave is publishing it, aside from on our patron feed. All right, Brian. So, we mentioned at the end of the last episode that Sam Reinhart got promoted to the Eichel line in Buffalo at the expense of Jason Pominville. I think you were just reading through some snoozers at the end. You mentioned Pominville, and that was like sort of the byproduct of that as Sam Reinhart's back in the top six. Things have already been shaken up again. Ocposto actually ended up getting bumped out of the top six for Pominville, who is now with O'Reilly and Benoit Pouliot. But of course, things could always get shaken up again since the Sabres lost yesterday. But yeah, Sam Reinhardt, he put up a goal and two assists versus Pittsburgh on Tuesday, was looking really good. I was feeling like, okay, he's back on the top line. He's clearly doing well now. But then he went and did nothing Friday and Saturday. Of course, Buffalo only scored two goals overall in those games. So you wouldn't have expected too much from Reinhardt. Still, okay, so Brian, would you stream Reinhardt just because he's on the Eichel line if he stays there? Or would you be the type of person to wait and see him do more before jumping to add him? No, I streamed Jason Pominville while he was in that spot. So I would do the same for Reinhardt. 
Okay, yeah. Though I feel like when you streamed Pominville, it was after he was getting some points, right? You didn't just grab him right away. But I guess yeah, Reinhardt did have that one good game. Oposo on line three kind of stinks, but he's still on the top power play. He had a four-game point streak before yesterday. I assume, Brian, you have him in the couple. Seems like you're planning on still holding him for a while. Yeah, Oposo's deployment improved, and so did his scoring, which... I thought was sort of predictable. Uh, Ocposo has to be too good to play on the third line for long. I know uh, the Buffalo coaching staff had said moving Pominville to the third line was not a critique of his play, that it was just to see if he could take what he was doing on the top line and bring it to the third line and contribute to team scoring. So it might be the same situation with Ocposo. Hey, he had a good run. Let's see if he can get that third line going. Uh, Although maybe the Buffalo coaches should accept that they might not be deep enough to have a top nine though. And they're just sinking the production hopes of anyone they put down there. Yeah. I think that's a more reasonable thing. So we'll see, I guess you would have Benoit Pouliot out of the top six, right? And you'd put Ocposo there and that's how you'd leave it. Yeah. Or Sam Reinhardt. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Nothing new to report on Evander Kane. We should probably check in on him. We talked about him after his really awesome start to the year and he's still keeping it up. Like he's up to 19 points in 20 games. He's now on the top power play. He wasn't even on the top power play at the start of the season, but he's gotten there. I guess he bumped Sam Reinhardt. Kane is also third in the league for shots on goal with 93 shots. So fingers crossed he stays healthy and keeps this up. Where do you expect Evander Kane to land points wise if he could actually play the whole season? He sure looks destined to surpass 60 points. Maybe Vander Kane can get to 65. He does lead the league with three shorthanded goals, which is impressive, but you got to account for that when you're trying to figure out his full season pace. You can't count on that production to keep coming for him to get three shorthanded goals for every 20 games he plays. Unless, of course, you think Brian Gibbons and Derek Dorsett, who have two each, will continue their runs as well. Probably not. Right. Okay. So it's interesting. Like we've mentioned some other players who are near point per game and you're like, for sure, they're going to fall. You look at them as like 50 point guys. I guess Evander Kane, you like him to beat 60 because of all these shots. And I guess the really good deployment. Huge shot counts. Great deployment. Yeah. Okay. And then we've got Scandella still on power play one. Ristolainen still injured. We don't know for how long. Only one assist in the last seven games for Scandella. I still think I'd stream him just because he's on that top power play. How about you? It's hard not to want any guy quarterbacking his team's top power play unit, just like we said about Charlie McAvoy, but Scandella's managed nearly nothing with the opportunity he's had, and he doesn't offer much in the way of peripherals either. So it probably depends on what your waiver wire looks like for defensemen. If you're super desperate on defense and you have nothing to lose by adding him, if you have like Will Butcher or something and you're hoping for an improvement, probably not. Of all the power play quarterbacks in the league, Scandella is probably the least desirable one. Wow. I don't know. I think he'll do something this week. I'm going to give him my uh, Nick Schmaltz seal of approval that I see points coming soon in well, this your, situation. Well, your Nick Schmaltz seal of approval means we're only three weeks away from seeing meaningful production from Scandella. Right. And by then, Ristolainen will be back and I'll take it away. Okay, let, Brian, we got to go to Vegas. Update our Vegas power rankings. Like, they keep scoring. Somebody goes, tonight, it's uh, 3-0 for Vegas over LA after the first period. William Carlson has two goals, both assisted by Riley Smith. Brian, the hot name right now is William Carlson. Man, he's the Carlson. Like, we, we talk about Eric Carlson. William Carlson not too, too far behind right now in points for the season. Of course, William has played more games. Anyways, it doesn't matter. We don't need to compare the Carlsons. But, like, William, he had 14 points in 18 games going into today. Now, two goals today. Five points in his last five games before today. Then you have Eric Halla, five points in his last five. Perron, seven in his last five. Neil with four. 
Riley Smith with four. Like everyone's producing recently, and everyone's producing like over the haul of the season. Like on the season, David Perron leads the way with 17 points in 18 games. Again, this is before today's game. Then you got Neil Carlson, Smith, Marcheso, Hala, like all putting up good points this season. Here were the lines last game, if that helps. Because in the end, Brian, I'm asking you to rank these Vegas guys. I guess also just separately, you could say, like, is William Carlson the real deal? Is he the one you'd want the most? I guess that'll come out in your power rank- rankings. Okay, the lines last game, Carlson, Marcia So, Riley Smith, and then Hala, Neil, and Perron. And then the top power play has been Marcia So, Hala, Neil, Perron, and Nate Schmidt. So is there anyone here standing out to you? Are they all the same? Seems like we've been letting people down so far, saying that nobody is worth owning aside from James Neal and like you were like maybe Marsh or so at this point. Are some of these guys worth owning? Like do you need to jump on these guys if they're somehow still available? It's very kind of you to say we've been letting people down when it's definitely been me who's been the one who said, uh, like I remember, how can I forget that I said it would be tough for any golden knight to break the 50 point mark this season. And now we're looking at six Golden Knights who are currently on pace for more than 60 points. Look, the team shooting percentage is still pretty darn high below only Toronto's at even strength and below only Tampa's on the power play. And if you think they have the personnel to keep up with those two teams in that respect, I've got a beach house I can sell you in Idaho. I still don't like these guys a ton, but I'll once again acknowledge that they may be cool enough to kick it on your roster until that regression kicks in. If you want to try and hang on to some of them, I'd go Marcheseau, Carlson, Neil, Smith, Hala, Perron. How about that? That, that was off the crazy. top of my head. That was crazy. Perron is leading the team, and Carlson's <laughs> the one who's like the guy, the hottest right now. And Marcheseau, ah, whatever. I guess that it just goes to show that who knows. Obviously, I'm just telling you what happened in the past. You're trying to project the future, but you're saying that was off the top of your head. Hard to not want Perron and Carlson right now. They're both basically at a point per game, but fine. Not okay. so hard for me. Actually, kind of hard. I have to say, like, the production has been really, really incredible. And I feel, uh, I don't feel foolish for not calling it. I still think everything will regress, but it's really been uh, an incredible run that you might as well get in on for as long as it lasts. Yeah, but you don't have anything about any specific player that you think it's more likely to last for? You feel you feel like they're all just kind of the same? Yeah, same as before. Marcheseau and Neil seem like the guys, <laughs> when everything does regress, who will be most capable of sustaining meaningful production. Okay, I'm going to ask you for next week to look into William Carlson. I actually want to know more about this guy in particular because he's doing really, really well and has been hot for a long time now. And his last name is Carlson. So I'd like to get a deeper dive into him. Maybe he's better than uh, we're giving him credit for, or maybe not. Okay, uh, since we're on Vegas, Malcolm Subban should be back. Apparently he's healthy enough for today, but they still decided to play Lagasse. But I'd assume Malcolm Subban is going to be the starting goalie moving forward. Or maybe they'll go 50-50. Like, uh, Vegas keeps winning, so it's hard to know what they're going to do. Subban has been good. He's only played three games so far, 936 save percentage. I feel like he's probably worth jumping on while we wait for Marc-Andre Fleury to return. Assuming that Subban becomes the undisputed starter, are you taking him over to Karras? Um, no, I'm not. It's impossible to say if Malcolm Subban uh, is better than Tuka Rask. He couldn't get a sniff of that starting position while he was in Boston behind Tuka Rask. So if that's in any indication, then he's probably not a better option. Uh, But he is still just about a month shy of turning 24. So it's possible that he can be an NHL starter. I was going to say this could be our first chance to really find out. And then Maxime Lagasse got the start. And it looks like early returns are 3 nothing for Vegas, so he might pick up the win. I don't know when we'll get a longer look at Subban. I would still prefer Tuka Rask. 
Okay, uh, Brian, question for you. I've been seeing Ryan Nugent Hopkins as a free agent streamer over the past couple of years. Like, he seems like a guy who most people are just like, ah, you pick him up every once in a while, then you drop him on Edmonton, of course. Uh, should I upgrade him at this point to someone who should be rostered in most leagues? Like, sh- slowly but surely, Nugent Hopkins has 15 points in 20 games on the season. That's a 61 and a half point pace. Seems like RH is the core of the second line on Edmonton. They shift around everyone else, but Eugene Hopkins stays there. Currently, he's playing with Lucic and Drysidle, so getting Drysidle there obviously really helps him. Of course, the downside is there's never any power play one time for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. They put guys like Mark Letestu up there. I guess they like to have a good second power play unit. But anyway, it's looking good for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Last year, he only had 43 points. Are we expecting him to beat that this year? Looks like he's on pace, but he's probably going to break 50. Yeah, I think he's really got a good shot at that. Looking at why this is happening, I'd say that Drysaddle is a big upgrade in line mates for him, but he did play the majority of his minutes over the last three years with Taylor Hall, Jordan Eberle, and, well, Milan Lucic. Uh, Drysaddle is still a nice guy to be playing with for Nugent Hopkins, though, especially after Eberle's struggles all of last year. Uh, But looking just how much he's going to score it's not going to keep pace as it is now. His shooting percentage is nearly double what it should be. His IPP is a fair chunk higher than it should be as well. And Nugent Hopkins' shot rate is actually down. So I'd bump him down from, he's currently at a 62-point pace. Uh, I think he's still going to break 50, which, by the way, no one realizes he's been able to do that or be on pace to break 50 points in four of his six seasons in the league. So I think he's on track to do that. And 55 points could be in sight. Exciting. By the way, with Dreisaitl online too, Drake Kajula got online one yesterday and he scored two goals in the 6-3 loss to Dallas. Would you be streaming him in? Drake Kajula I'm talking about? Like, obviously, all throughout the year, we've been talking about Puliyarvi, Yamamoto. Now we've got Kajula on line one. Are you jumping on him playing with McDavid? Yeah, you get the guy who's playing on McDavid's line. Obvious. Easy logic. Get who's playing with Crosby. Get who's playing with McDavid. Get who's playing with Matthews. No problem. Okay, so let's say if I could choose right now, Ryan Nugent Hopkins or Kajula. Like, who do I add between these two? Huh. Short-term Kajula, but who knows how long he's going to be on that top line. So that's why I would probably, well, long-term, I'd go Nugent Hopkins. It depends what you're looking for. Well, I don't know, for like a couple games. I think I would still go Nugent Hopkins. Like, uh, I, I just can't find it like Jake Kajula. Come on. What's he going to do? I, I agree. I lean towards Nugent Hopkins, too. Okay, by the way, Edmonton, they made a trade. Two unrestricted free agent signings from last summer got swapped. Edmonton and LA. Edmonton sent UC Jokinen to LA for Michael Camilleri. So let's take a look at if these guys are worth considering now that they're on new teams. Camilleri had no points and four shots in his first two games with the Oilers. He's been playing on the third line with Puliyarvi and Strom. And I feel like they should call this the disappointment line. Camilleri, Puliyarvi, and Strom, all players who we had high hopes for going into the year. Maybe not as much Camilleri, but we thought maybe, you know, ooh, top line with Kopitar, something could happen. Obviously, that didn't work out. Ryan Strom, everyone's like, ooh, top line with Big David. That clearly didn't work out. Puliyarvi, we're still waiting. He got on that top line for a little bit, already bumped. I don't know. Do you think that's going to catch on, Brian, the disappointment line over line three on on Edmonton? I don't think so. Only, well, we didn't have hopes for Strom either going into the year. We were definitely a little concerned that if he did not end up on McDavid's line, and even if he did, that he wouldn't be able to cash in. 
Okay, then meanwhile, we've got UC Jokinen going to LA, and he has two assists in two games. Much better than Camilleri and his start in Edmonton. So it looks like Jokinen was on line four with Nick Dowd and Johnny Brodzinski yesterday, but he was on the top power play and got a power play assist on Thursday versus Boston with Kopitar, Brown, Muzzin, and Dowdy. LA didn't have any power plays yesterday versus Florida, so that's why there was nothing there. LA's playing today. I can't report on that yet. Looks like Jokinen may have some value right now, though, if he's going to be on that top power play, right? It makes sense that he gets to turn on that top power play. And yeah, that gives him some value the same way it gives Craig Smith and the Peter C over on Boston some value. He's in the spot that had mostly belonged to Alex Iofalo and Mike Camilleri before the trade happened. So sure, like there really aren't a lot of better options. And I think LA made a made a pretty good trade. Yoganen's going to be more useful, at least in controlling the pace of play than Camilleri showed himself able to do with the Kings. So you're saying that Edmonton made a not-so-smart trade? Can you believe it? I know. Uh, and so speaking of LA, looks like Tyler Toffoli. Speaking of, like, they do have good options for the top power play. Why not Tyler Toffoli? He was bumped to line three yesterday with Nick Shore and Andy Androff. Uh, Trevor Lewis took Toffoli's place on line two. But Toffoli doesn't care. He responded with one goal and one assist and six shots on goal. He had a really great game. But he only saw 12 minutes and 58 seconds of ice time. So it's, like, weird right now to own Tyler Toffoli. Like, should you be happy with him? He's got 50 points in 20 games, which doesn't seem droppable. But if you're on line three and power play two that's generally not someone i like to have on my team what does a Tofoli owner do right now do we drop him for someone like i don't know nick felino in fantasy we'll actually get to felino next so maybe we can hold off on that question but what do you do as a Tofoli owner you just hope that jeff carter comes back in the two to four weeks that was projected uh, initially when he was injured and that should help to fully get his own value back up there it is really weird to has not seen this low ice time for any length of time over the last couple of years, which is why we expect that it'll bounce back. Maybe he's working on something. Maybe he's doing things the coach doesn't like. But look, if LA is playing UC Jokinen on their top power play unit, they're certainly starved for players like Toffoli who can get the puck on net and create scoring opportunities. And that's why I really think that you should not panic about this, but wait a week, keep an eye on his ice time. I think it should be fine. And especially if you can hang on, it sucks while Carter's out, but if you can make it until Jeff Carter returns, I think everything will be a-okay from that point on. Right. Sometimes you have to think long-term. Fantasy playoffs are a long time away, and you'll be sad if you drop Tyler Toffoli. Then he and Carter are clicking come fantasy playoff time. But anyways, Brian, I mentioned Nick Felino. He was actually dropped in our joint league, and I could see why. He only has eight points in 20 games on the season, and he's pointless in 11. After a super hot start, I'm pretty sure there was a Dauber Ramblings article that totally called this, like during his hot streak, saying, sell high on Felino now. It's not going to last. So whoever wrote that nailed it 100%. Looks like Columbus shuffled up their lines in practice today. Like once again, Felino now on line three with Bjorkstrand and Mott. So that's not a good situation for him. The top two lines were looking like Jenner, Dubinsky, and Atkinson and Panarin with Dubois and Josh Anderson. Wenberg, by the way, is still injured, but is skating. So probably another shakeup is coming soon when Wenberg comes back. But yeah, what's wrong with Nick Felino? Do you think that he can get back to at least a 50-point pace moving forward? He seemed like a pretty solid bet for 50 points. That's what he's been doing the past few years. And like all those hits that he gives you makes him super valuable in the Bangers and Match League if he could just pop in a point every couple games, which he's usually good for, but this year, not so much, at least not in the last few weeks. Well, Nick Foligno wasn't going to score eight points for every nine games that he played, and he's not going to stay pointless in every 11 games he played either. He's up there with Ajo, actually, is probably being the streakiest fantasy-relevant guy so far this year. 
I don't know that anything is really wrong with him. I do know that those lines in Columbus are super weird. Uh, they seem like they're trying to get a top nine going, but like Buffalo might be stretching themselves a little too thin to get meaningful production while doing it. Uh, Felino isn't without blame, though. His rate sets are in decline for, well, another year, for the third straight year now, which is concerning, but he's got to be at least a half point per game player going forward, which is probably underselling him. Like, that's the floor. So if that plus hits works for you, then stick with Foligno, and you can probably hope for more than 50 still. Yeah, maybe not overall. Well, I guess he's kind of like, he had that hot start as a head start for that. But yeah, moving forward, I'd like to see even just a point every two games and then give me all those hits and I'm good. If he's going to do worse than that, then you're starting to get concerned. Brian, okay, let's roll through a bunch of outjuries now from the past week. I'm just going to tell you a bunch of them. None of them seem especially interesting to me, which is why I didn't start the show with them. But maybe I'll run through them all and then you can let me know which of these players, if any, you're interested in, or you could chime in about any of them. So let's start in Ottawa. Bobby Ryan is back for the Sens. He was playing on line two with Dezingle and Duchesne, though it looks like today Tom Pyatt's getting on that line with Bobby Ryan and Duchesne. So we'll have to see how that works out. Poor Hoffman, by the way, looking like he's going to be on the third line with Burroughs and Peugeot. Anyways, Bobby Ryan, no points in two games so far. He had four shots yesterday for what it's worth. So I'd be curious to know if you think there's anything worthwhile in adding Bobby Ryan, like playing with Duchesne. Could be pretty good. Then we have Travis Zajac, who returned to the Devils. He was on line two with Drew Stafford and Jesper Bratt. Henrique is now on line three, so I think he's a snoozer if you're still holding on to him. Uh, two games so far for Zajac. No power play time, no points, only three shots. I assume you wouldn't be adding him right now until he does something. Uh, then in Winnipeg, Matthew Perot returned to the Jets. He was on, like, I guess the third or fourth line. I don't even know, with Matt Hendricks and Joel Armia. Second power play. He actually had a power play goal in his return versus Philly. He had a goal and an assist yesterday in the big win over New Jersey. He's getting low ice time, like only 10 minutes and 45 seconds and 11 minutes and 11 seconds in those two games. Curious to know if you're biting on him. I got two more for you. Okay, Nolan Patrick back for the Flyers. Looks to be on line two with Simmons and Dale Weiss. He is also on the second power play. He had nothing versus Winnipeg on Thursday, but he scored a goal and had four shots yesterday versus Calgary. So he's kind of interesting. And finally, Matt Niskanen returned for Washington. One assist in three games since his return. 12 shots in those games, though, which is really nice, especially for a defenseman on the second power play, of course. He's not bumping John Carlson. Curious to know if you would add Matt Niskanen if he fell to free agency for you in the couple. He did have 39 points last year, uh, though that did include some top power play time, which he's probably not going to get. So, Brian, big list for you. I'll just run through it again. Bobby Ryan, Travis Zajac, Matthew Perot, Nolan Patrick, Matt Niskanen. Who interests you out of that group, if any? All right, this will be a very functional rundown. Bobby Ryan, put him on your watch list. Travis Ajak, put him on your watch list. Matthew Perot, definitely tempting to add just as someone who is succeeding with poor deployment and maybe could do better. Although since he's returned, Kyle Connor has been doing just fine in the top six. So it doesn't look like that spot is up for grabs, or at least Kyle Connor's spot is up for grabs. I wonder if Brian Little's spot eventually becomes up for grabs. Uh, Nolan Patrick, you can forget about him for now. Matt Niskanen does interest me a little bit because of those shots. If only he blocked a little more often. Uh, he really only gets just over a block per game. He gets a couple hits if your league counts those. He could be like a Matthias Ekholm type, though, with what he offers, which is close to 35 points. More if he does get to take a turn on the top power play. But we did just laud John Carlson's efforts on that top power play recently. So there's no need for him to step in there for now. Okay, and let's end the show, Brian. I've got a snoozer for you. And then I've got a new like bangers and mash defenseman that people might want to consider. So first, the snoozer. 
Tim Heed on San Jose. Looks like he was off the top power play yesterday, and he's pointless in six games. So assuming he stays off the top power play in San Jose, uh, we say bye to Tim Heed, right? Like, I guess you should watch list him, see if he gets back on the top power play unit and starts converting again. But right now, it looks like Tomash Hurdle is there in that fifth spot. And in that case, I don't really want Tim Heed. His ice time has still been pretty friendly, seeing 19 and a half minutes per game, which has probably helped him pick up the peripherals he's managed, which are 17 shots on goal and 11 blocks, which is not shabby at all for a six-game stretch. However, it is shabby that he has no points. If those peripherals aren't helping you at all, then you can probably let him go. If the peripherals are helping you, maybe it's a reason, depending on who is out there in free agency uh, to hold on to him a little bit longer. Okay, and I guess Dave here in the chat room is saying that Gudas was suspended for 10 games, so you could drop him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you don't need us to tell you that if you have a player who's suspended for 10 games, he's probably not going to be too good for you over those 10 games. But hey, watch list Gudas if he gets dropped in your league because he's obviously great for peripherals. At least he at one point was, I, I'd expect he will again. But speaking of someone who's good at peripherals, how about someone right now, Steven Santini on New Jersey? I'm sure I have to say on New Jersey because no one knows who he is. But since November 1st, he's put up 34 hits in eight games. That's crazy. That's more than three hits a game. Also had a 10-block game last Sunday at Chicago. So, Brian, who is Steven Santini? And should people be rushing to grab him in their bankers leagues if hits and blocks are counting? If your league enjoys, say, Mark Borowiecki or last year's version, at least, of Mark Borowiecki, where he could win you hit single-handedly, then yeah, you might want to take a flyer on Steven Santini. Just expect nothing else. In 56 career NHL games, he has just 11 points. In the AHL, not much better. Last year, he played 20 games in Albany, had just two assists. Yeah, I guess the only tricky thing with these types of players who you're adding for their peripherals is he could get benched, right? Like you could add him for a stream and then it'll turn out right before game time that he's going to be a healthy scratch. So you got to watch out with your Steven Santini ad, but you could potentially get like 10 blocks and five hits in a game if you play him correctly. Brian, that's all I've got for this week. Another huge list of players just like that. Done. Hopefully some of our predictions come out correctly. I'm really especially interested to see if you get guys like Aho right? Like at the end of the day, if he's only like a 50, 55 point guy. How co- you're, are you confident in that one? Or are you like, you know, prediction, but you're not like, you know, more than like 30, 40%. Well, just to be clear, I didn't say 50, 55 for Aho. I said 55, 60. Tara Vinen was 50, 55 and Stahl was 50. Okay, fair. Okay, I don't even know why I asked that. All right, let's end the show. Before we do, let's thank you people, the listeners, for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. We're coming out with new content every week, and the only reason we do it is because we have you listening to us. Thanks to everyone who joined us in the chat room, of course. Thanks to all of our Twitter followers. If you want to become one of them, follow us at Keeping Carlson. We try to give fantasy advice on Twitter, try to come up with funny tweets. I had a tweet that I thought was really funny a couple days ago that no one liked it. Then I even asked someone, like, did you think my tweet was funny? And he was like, I didn't get it. So I guess maybe it wasn't. What was it about again? Do you remember, Brian? It was about something to do with catering. Oh yeah, there was like some story about how some rookie is like really enjoying getting catering. And I was like, we should get catering. I don't know. In my head, it was funny. I was out like at a bar. Well, I wrote that tweet. So maybe it was funnier at the time. Um, If you really like the show and you want to support us. Actually, Brian, I'm going to switch out of my podcasting voice into my regular voice, if that's okay. Okay. All right. Hey, everybody. Elon here. Um, (laughs) Just want to throw it out there. Normally, every week, I like to say, you know, oh, if you want to support us, it would be really nice. You know, I know I talk about all the different perks we give you to become a patron. You know, we talk about how you get the bonus content, you join the Facebook group. But like, to be real, like, you know, 
we're putting a lot of work into the show, just FYI. Like, you know, Brian and I spent a lot of today putting together the show, preparing it. So if you if you want to be nice, throw us five bucks. Like five bucks, it's not a lot to you. It's not a lot to us, but it also just lets us know that people appreciate the work we're putting into the show. So just going to throw it out there. You get all the good perks. Also, you get that good feeling knowing you're supporting a podcast that is working hard to put out good content for you. So keepingcarlson.com slash patron, if you don't mind. Check good it out. Good job. Okay. <laughs> ah, back, back to podcasting. That's all I got for you this week. So why don't we cue the outro music? And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest one, David B. Welcome aboard. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Cool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Natural Stat Trick, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantracks. Great job, as always, Brian. We will catch all of you. Well, the patrons will catch next Thursday for our mailbag show. We'll catch the rest of you on Sunday for another episode. You can always join us live for our episodes at keepingcarlson.com slash live. See you then. Until then, keep on keeping Carl signs.